Shalom Aleichem on behalf of Teach 613, we welcome you to Take 10 for Talmud. We are recording in Silver Spring, Maryland, and are so glad that you can join us. Gitin Lamed Hey, Gitin 35A, pagination is 69. We'll start on the facing page, Masnisin, the new Mishnah, about 12 lines up. A widow is not allowed to collect her ksuba money from the estate unless she makes a oath affirming, stating that she has not yet collected. The Mishnah, however, tells us, They stopped asking her to make this oath and she wasn't able to collect. There was a problem. The problem, as the Gemara will explain, is that the widow would make the oath, but it was not necessarily a truthful oath because she might have benefited somewhat from the estate, taken some asset, but she was moreheter, she assumed it was okay because she's putting in so much effort into the children and into the estate and into the transition upon the death of her husband that she felt entitled to those things and she still felt that she is entitled to the ksuba. If you think about it, this is so, so normal when there's a breakup in a partnership of any sort. There's discussion as to what the wages are and what the entitlements are and what the benefits ought to be. And it is common for a person to feel entitled to something over and above what the simple technicalities are. Nimnu'u, they stopped having her make this oath. It was a problem. Hiskin Rabbi Gamliel Hazakein, Rabbi Gamliel Hazakein made a legislation, that she would make a vow on whatever the orphans wanted. They could say that you're not allowed to eat oranges anymore if you took from the ksuba besides what you're going to collect now. In other words, you need to tell us the truth. What did you take? They could say chocolate. They could say whatever they wanted. Vigovic ksuba saw, and then she could collect her ksuba. And the logic here is that if she makes a neder, it'll apply even in the future. Every single time she does that behavior, she's going to know that if she bent the truth at the time of the vow, she's in violation today again. And this would cause her to be a little bit more strict on herself, and she would admit whatever the facts are, if indeed she was entitled to it. So... Let's discuss it. But you need to put the facts on the table. Whereas, if it was a one-time oath, at the time of the oath, she's moreheter, she decides it's okay, and then she puts it behind herself. She doesn't think about it ever again. And that's where the problem was. The Gemara on the second line of today's daf outlines the severity of the problem. 
They stopped having her make the oath, and instead, as the Mishnah continued, they switched to the vow. My timer. Why? There's a reason given by Ravkano about the severity of an oath. There was a story of a certain person during a famine. He gave a golden dinner to a widow to guard for him. And the place that she hid it was in the flour. And accidentally she baked it into a loaf of bread. And of all the loaves, she ended up giving that one to a poor person. Meaning, she was totally altruistic. She was trying to do good by everybody. She guarded the guy's coin and she baked bread and gave to the poor during this difficult time. She's a nice lady. And then later on, Babala dinner, the person who owned the coin came back and demanded his coin back that he had entrusted with her. Give it to me. And she said, no such thing. The potion of death should affect one of the children of that woman. She was referring to herself, if I benefited in any way from this dinner. Now, perhaps she meant to say quite literally, it disappeared. And I don't know what happened. Perhaps she was not denying that it was given to her. But she's saying, I didn't have any benefit from it. Meaning, it disappeared. And she wants to be potter. Even if she would want to pay. But she still made a statement here, which is very severe. Omru, they say, Lohayu Yamamu'atim was only a few days one of her children died. And when the Chachamim heard the severity of her, the impact of her statement, a person who makes an oath truthfully. Such things happen. If a person intentionally makes an oath of falsehood, how severe it would be. And we can't imagine how serious it would be to have the widow in a regular estate situation make an oath which is untrue. The Mepharshim point out, what kind of benefit did she indeed have from this gold coin? A very innocuous type of benefit. She baked it in the bread that means that the bread would have needed more flour in order to fill up the size that she had in mind. And because there was a coin in there, she used less flour. Very innocuous benefit. She ends up giving the loaf of bread anyway to somebody else. But 
to do what she wanted to do would have taken more flour, and on that she had benefit. My time, dinner, that the space of the coin was a benefit to her, which means she would have used more flour. Umay Mishanishba Be'emes, and a person who swore truthfully, we need to revisit that phrase. It wasn't really truthfully. Once you establish why she was in violation of her oath, so suddenly it turns out it wasn't really truthful. The answer is, Kimishanishba Be'emes, it's as if she swore truthfully. She really, really thought that she was saying the truth, that the coin disappeared unbeknownst to her with no benefit. All of that explains why we're taking the oath so seriously. However, the Gemara posed this as a question. Such a law should apply not only to a widow, but also to a divorced woman. She's also going to make an oath that she didn't benefit. And over there we allowed her to make the oath and we did not restrain her and get all nervous about it. And the Gemara explains, as we mentioned, Almana Shaini, the widow, is in a much more vulnerable position for this type of chet, this type of wrongdoing. The effort that she puts in towards the orphans, Asya Laorue Hetera, she tries, or she ends up being Moda Heter, ruling leniently for herself, thinking that wasn't a benefit of consequence, whatever benefit she did get. And in reality, she has to put that information on the table before she collects her ksuba. Related to this, of course, is the absolute caution that a Jew has not to make an oath. You'll notice that caution exists even in the general population where the statement is often made, to the best of my knowledge, I swear. And that's the text, because people acknowledge that there's human fallibility with no ill intent. A person could be misstating the truth, and the consequences are significant. Because what do we have if not for a person's word of affirmation that it's true? And therefore, we really switch to the concept of affirming, because for us, that's really serious enough. And we recognize that a person's word is holy and has to be honest. And the general population recognizes and they offer, do you swear or affirm, recognizing that someone might have extreme caution from making a formal oath. Also, when we make a commitment towards charity, for example, we do it without an oath. But anybody who knows realizes that we take a belineder quite seriously, and it too is a very respected level of affirmation. Yeshe thank you for joining.